Welcome to another edition of BartCast, a podcast series curated by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. Learn more at bcm-net.org. Mary, Miriam in Aramaic, the language she spoke, was about 15 when she got pregnant. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary responded with a song we call the Magnificat. Perhaps you've heard parts of it at Christmas time. When I was about 15, I was voluntold by my church choir leader to sing Mary's Magnificat at a Christmas cantata. The words I still remember went like this, I will not be singing it. I will rejoice in my God. I will rejoice in my Savior. I will magnify the name of the Lord forever and ever. But the song I was taught stopped short of Mary's prophetic vision. We often do not get to hear the rest of the song, which says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Writer D.L. Mayfield has noted how German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer described the Magnificat as the, quote, the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Mayfield also wrote that Father Gustavo Gutierrez, who coined the phrase liberation theology, wrote that Mary's song highlights that God gives special attention to the poor and the oppressed, those who are cast out by society. Why did Mary utter these words after finding out about God's plan for Jesus taking over a throne? Why would talk about a throne matter at all? we can begin to understand when we consider the context. Nazareth, where Mary lived, was a small village in the city of Galilee. At the time of Jesus' conception, much of Galilee was in open revolt against Roman imperial rule, especially in the town of Sepphoris, a town four miles away from Nazareth, about an hour's walk. For example, because of the protests in Sepphoris, the town was burned down and its inhabitants were sold into slavery. Nazareth, up a hill, saw the smoke below. It is not random that Jesus was born among people who were experiencing discrimination, labor exploitation, and oppression from empire. The arrival of Jesus was indeed good news for people who were suffering. He was going to shake things up. Mayfield also wrote of Ben Wildflower, whose art I show here. 
Upon learning about the deeper meaning of Mary's words, the artist was shaken, or shook, if you prefer. (laughs) He was inspired to depict Mary stepping on a snake with a raised fist. What might God reveal to us if we seriously meditated on Mary's Magnificat? Feminist liberation theologians around the world might help us answer that question. Yvonne Guevara from Brazil holds doctorates in philosophy and religious studies. Her theology, however, did not develop only in academic context, but also with her daily life alongside impoverished women in Latin America, whose struggles intersect along race, class, gender, and earth domination. She critiques the supposed anthropological superiority of human beings over all creatures and the assumed subjugated dependence of women on men. Guevara contributes an eco-feminist theology that connects ecological health to social justice. Ghanaian Methodist theologian Mercy Amba Uduyuye is affectionately called the mother of African women's theologies. She teaches and writes about poverty, healthcare, youth empowerment, and women's rights. She is the founder of the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. The circle deals with the destructive impacts of Western neocolonialism on the continent and also to their cultures. They questioned the romanticization of African cultures and its oppression of women and the sexism of Christianity linked to colonization. In the Philippines, where I'm from, feminist theologians take on the issues of dictatorship and economic repression. They too courageously confront the country's history of Christian conversion coupled with violent Western colonization. Sister Mary John Mananzan, having earned her degrees in Germany and then in Rome, also walks alongside the people at marches and protests, for example. She identifies as a political and feminist activist, advocating for women's rights and the concerns of women who have been raped or trafficked for tourists and the military. Korean feminist liberation theologians also face similar issues. The Korean liberation theology in the 1960s, called the Minjung theology, ignored gender issues. So Christian feminists highlighted the abuse of women in the sex tourist trade, as well as demanding reparations for the Korean women who were enslaved for sex during World War II. Chung Hyun Kyung, a lay theologian of the Presbyterian Church of Korea, has written, quote, doing theology is a personal and a political activity. As a Korean woman, I do theology in search of what it means to be fully human in my struggle for wholeness and in my people's concrete historical fight for freedom, end quote. Indian feminist theology also confronts issues regarding the designated low status of women in society, evident in the matter of what's called dowry deaths. Dowry death is the phenomenon of a bride being murdered by her husband so that he can collect more dowry from another bride's family. To teach both young women and men to respect each other and themselves, Kochurani Abraham in Kerala, India, 
is filling the need for gender and sexuality education in schools. She has training in child development, systematic theology, and feminist theology. She also teaches workshops integrating sexuality and spirituality for both youth and adults. I am grateful to American feminist scholar and Catholic theologian Rosemary Radford Ruther for writing about them all. Across the globe, the shared interests and intentions of Christian women theologians include critiquing sexism in Christianity and in Christian churches, and reconstructing the hierarchical, male-designed, male-centric symbols for the divine. They also draw on resources from their cultures to speak truth and power to the issues that are particular to their societies and histories, some of which, frankly, we are complicit if not the cause. Feminist liberation theologians see their work that in affirming women's full and equivalent humanity, they affirm a God who is loving, just, and whole. Shaken as you might become if you seriously meditate on Mary's song, I hope you join the chorus of our diverse voices, praising God for the hope of Jesus towards our collective liberation. Thank you. You have been listening to the Bartcast, produced by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. To find our resources or to donate to support the Bartcast, please go to chedmyers.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.